Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Climbing the Ivy on the Fan Side of Network. This is your host, Alex Pat, alongside Adam McGinnis. We are recording on Thursday evening, March 26th, the day that was supposed to be, but is not. And everybody listening to this knows, today was supposed to be opening day around baseball. The Cubs were supposed to be in Milwaukee, taking on rival Milwaukee Brewers to start a 162-game journey. But with the current circumstances around the world, that is not the case, and we still do not have any certain timeline of when baseball will be back, though there are some things being worked on right now. So we're just going to wing it this time, talk about what's going on in the world uh, of baseball, even though there ain't much, and maybe relive a few memories or two from opening days of the past. With that, I'd like to welcome in my co-host, as usual, Adam. Adam, how you doing? I'm great. Great. I wish I could say I was great. I am not great. Baseball was supposed to be today, and it's yeah. not, and I'm I'm sad. I'm just sad. I am too. Opening day is generally one of my favorite days of the year, and to have to skip that this year is a giant bummer, to say the least. Well, you know, I've always said that opening day in baseball is like the biggest first day of any major sport in my opinion i mean it's it's even bigger to me than week one of the nfl i mean yeah the super bowl is obviously a huge event at the end but opening day there's really Op- nothing like opening day opening day is like a holiday it has that feel to it well the special thing about opening day is no matter how good or bad you are you come in with that clean slate feeling i mean even in 2012 when we knew the Cubs are going to be terrible. I remember that was my senior year of high school. I can remember being so amped up like I always was for opening day. And I was in eighth period and it was a television studio class for me. And uh, I wasn't on the main uh, stage that day. I was like working behind the scenes that day. And I brought to school a little Walkman and I was listening to the first game of the season. And it was the 2012 Cubs, a team that lost 101 games. But again, no matter how good or bad you are, that clean slate, not a day has gone by feeling, it it feels great. You feel like you can accomplish anything, even when you know deep down your team might not be that good. Yeah, that, that clean slate feeling is always great. One of my favorite things to do on opening day has always been to just get as many games on as many screens at one time as possible. Even if I can't pay close attention to all of them at once, they're just, there's something about it. I, on opening day, I do that same sort of thing that people like to do during March madness where they've got as many games on as possible. I, I like doing that on the first few days of baseball. So it's, it's a weird feeling not having it here right now. Really weird feeling. Yeah. And I mean, look, it is early. I mean, I think like opening in March is really early just with the weather. But since we're used to kind of it opening around that time, I look outside. Yeah. Today, it's gloomy. It's rainy. But that's kind of how opening day is here in Chicago. Yeah, a lot well, of time. I, I mean, and, and, and it's it's I, I know that it's early, but I mean, what makes it feel so weird and empty is that just, you know, even even if we were on track to start uh, and it was if, if the season was starting in, in early April instead, it would still feel really weird because at, at this point we would have 
so much more information. We'd, we'd have some roster news. We'd probably know who was going to start on opening day, mm-hmm. cuts, mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. But it's but there's just absolute nothingness, and that's that just kind of eerie. Right. We don't know when it's going to start. We don't know how players are going to get back into the swing of things. We don't know what the schedule yeah. is going to be like. I mean, we don't know any of that yet. We're hearing the proposals. We're hearing the ideas. But nothing has been set in stone because the whole world doesn't know really where we are yet with this whole situation. So it's hard to make something concrete right now. See, and that's the thing, too, is you know, even when this all does sort of start to subside and we get back into the swing of things, they're not going to be able to just start the season up. They're going to need some sort of extended period of time to get back into shape and have practices, things of that nature. You know, I, I'm sure most of the players are doing all that they can to stay in shape at home or with, at gyms nearby, but, but they're going to have to have some actual formal training time too. So it's, it's not like once we open things back up, the season just starts. It's going to be quite a while. I would guess, at, you know, optimistically, I, my best guess would be that they can't start until sometime in June. Yeah. Yeah. Because even if you get things going, maybe even like, and this is really optimistic, I think right now, mid-May, which to me seems really optimistic, you would probably need a few weeks of spring training type activity. And like you said, they're probably working out, but working out's one thing, but actually playing the game and doing drills on the field, that's completely different. That's actually getting your body calibrated to make the motions and read what you're supposed to read during an MLB game. Weightlifting can keep you in shape, but it's not going to have your body in the right motions for an MLB game. Yeah. And these guys, they'll all have to go through physicals, I'm sure. And, and, and doing whatever you do at home to stay in shape is, is totally different than what say the, the team trainer has you doing. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot that goes into actually getting the season started. I wish it was as simple as just getting the season going as soon as we uh, get back to normal, but that's not going to be the case. Yeah, and I I think you're going to have to completely redo the schedule. Oh then, yeah. No matter that's how long be, the season is. That's going to be that's going to be one of the toughest parts and and that's that's still in motion because you, I mean you, you don't really know exactly what you can do about the schedule until you have uh a sort of a solid timetable for when you can even start. Uh, I mean, you you can't go in there and start deciding which games you can cut and how many times you're going to play such and such team until you actually know how much time in the season you're going to have. And at at this point, we don't know if they're going to play all 162 games but go late into the year or if they're just going to play like 80 or 90 games. it's, It's just all up in the air right now. We don't know. I think this is my prediction This is what I could see, and I mentioned this on the show last week too, Um, but if they do indeed play a shortened season, which I think they will, uh, I I could see them going the route of, we're just going to eliminate all the interleague games, everything's going to be within league, so NL just plays NL, AL just plays AL. That's probably the easiest ones you could cut right there, because... You have to play division games. You have to play the even right. number of division games. You know, you got to evenly spread each division between each yeah. other. And you're going to have to play some just within the league as well. So you play your division teams and then you play the other two divisions in your own league. I think the first thing to go is interleague play. 
Yeah, and if I had to guess, you know, however many games they play this season, if I had to guess, I'd say there's going to be quite a few doubleheaders, more than normal this year. Yeah, that's going to be another challenge, too, because you still need off days. How many off days are you going to implement? Are you mm-hmm. going to spread them out well, evenly? And, what are you going to do? And, and that's probably the only way that you're going to be able to squeeze off days in there is by playing a lot of doubleheaders. Yeah, sure. And, and, and I get that that has its toll, but... And at the end of the day, this is a business and, you know, gate revenue is, is huge for baseball. And so they, if they can find a way to get in as many games as possible, they will go that route. You know, it's, it's crazy because my grandpa likes to tell these stories when he was a kid watching baseball, doubleheaders were a very normal thing. Every team did yeah, it. They did it all the time. Yeah. That's something that, that people our age may not. Uh, no, is that yeah? Double headers used to be way more common than they are now. It, it used they used to be pretty normal to see a lot of double headers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you saw a lot of double headers, and you saw a lot of pitchers pitching nine innings way, way more often. You didn't see the bullpen yeah. use very much. <laughs> it's yeah, kind of so, funny I mean, how things have it, changed. It, it it can be done. It can be done. I mean, I'm sure we're going to see the occasional person say you know, something along the lines of the, this is abuse. This is taking way too much of a toll on their bodies. It's like, no, they're, they're they're trained and prepared for this sort of thing. It so you play maybe th- even if you just play three or four double headers a year, that's I, if you spread them out, I think that's very doable. Mm hmm. Yeah. And I really I, just, I don't think they're going to have a choice. I think they're going to have to. If they're going to yeah. play, you know, as many games as possible. And you know what? I, I think a lot of players would like doubleheaders. I mean, I, I don't know for sure, but I think a number of players would like it. I mean, I know it's a different yeah. era with the Ernie Banks Let's Play too, but I think a lot of players could have fun with doubleheaders. And I also feel I think, like maybe what you could do is you could construct rosters a special way for doubleheaders. Yeah, and I... I, yeah, we'll definitely see some of that, I think. And I, I think fans will like it, too. Oh, uh, sure. I mean, because, you know, in, in the in the middle of the summer, you get tons and tons of afternoon games. And sometimes it's hard for people to actually watch those games because people are at work. And so games that start at noon or one o'clock, a lot of people miss those games. If you have double headers and the second game is starting uh, early in the evening, maybe, then that gives people a chance to see uh, some regular season games that they otherwise don't see in the summertime. Yeah, and you know, the nice thing about this is, is that if you have scheduled doubleheaders, you can prepare well ahead of time for them. Because a lot of times when doubleheaders happen, it's usually because of a rainout or something. And you'll Mm -hmm. have to see that happen kind of last minute. It's like, well, we got rained out. So tomorrow we got to play a doubleheader. I, you know, last minute notice where if you have these doubleheaders already scheduled, then you plan accordingly for them. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, and I personally love doubleheaders, so... Oh, me too. I mean, I hate to say there's silver linings to this thing, but, I, you know, you, you, we at this point, we got to take any positivity where we can get it. So doubleheaders would be cool. Yeah, so going back to the whole 162 game thing, Scott Boris <laughs> pitched an idea, 162 games, and then um, we see... Christmas World Series, Christmas baseball. I thought Scott Boris was supposed to be smart. No way in hell would that ever happen. No, there's so many 
problems that could arise from that. I mean, say the Cubs make the World Series, and you know it's it's December, and obviously they're not going to be playing games at Wrigley in December. So you just say for the sake of argument, they they the Cubs play their home games at Dodger Stadium. Obviously, you're not going to have full Chicago Cubs staff working. You're going to have plenty of LA Dodgers staff there, and you got to figure out, oh, did the Dodgers get a certain cut of gate revenue, of merchandise sales, all this sort of stuff that, that would go into that. I think it would just create a huge headache. Uh, there's, there's, yeah, you're right. There's no way in hell they would do that. No way. You would, need that, a, you would definitely need a neutral site, no question. Yeah, and I, I just don't. I don't see that being an option. I don't see, or I, at least I don't see that being something that players or fans would want to do. I think a neutral field postseason to me would have to be an absolute last resort. And personally, I would rather see them play a condensed regular season in order to actually play normally in the postseason rather than do neutral field stuff in the wintertime. I, I just don't think that anybody would like that. I mean, yeah, it's, it's not baseball. No, and it, it just—I think it would kill the whole postseason atmosphere too. Because you know, naturally, if you're playing at a neutral site, you're not going to have nearly as many home home fans in attendance, and it, it just wouldn't be the same. It well, it depends on I, the. Team. I, it wouldn't work. It, it, I agree, but it, I mean, I—the the only thing I'll say is, you darn well know, Cub fans would flock to a neutral site postseason game. They'd fill that place right. up. But right. if you're like the, the Reds or, I don't know, another smaller team that might make the postseason, I mean, because, I mean, look, if the Yankees make the postseason, their fans are going to flock. If the Cubs do it, if the Dodgers right. do it, all those teams have huge fan bases. But, like, if the Reds make it or the Brewers make it, uh, something like that, or even the A's, you know, you're not going to yeah. see that big flock. It's yeah, I, I just don't see neutral site in baseball really going. I, remember no. when the Cubs had a neutral site game against the Astros in 08 when uh, Zambrano threw the no-hitter at Miller Park? Oh, yeah. That place, yeah, that, uh, that like, <laughs> the Cubs, like, outdrew the Brewers in those two games at that stadium. And it was supposed, <laughs> to, be a home, it was supposed to be a home game for the Astros. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's a good that's a good uh, trip down memory lane. It was, but yeah, I, I don't see that proposal going through. I mean, you know, Scott Boris just wants everything he could do to get those incentives for his players. Yeah, you know, that's what it's all about. Maybe maybe the league would get lucky and the World Series would end up being like Dodgers Athletics, and they could both teams could just stay in California. Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? That yeah, would be no. pretty lucky. It, it, it really wouldn't, though, because Dodgers A's World Series would kind of suck. <laughs> okay, so I know we're totally against the idea, but I'm just going to ask it. If you had to do a neutral site World Series game, knowing it had to be in either a warm climate or a climate-controlled climate, where would you propose it be? <sighs> so... Personally, here's what I think they would do. I think that they would opt to go dome. Uh, and so, and, I think and that so would too. not that would not be what I would want. Uh, but I, I have a feeling that if they did that, they would go to like Arizona or something mm-hmm. and play play in the dome. But I mean, 
as as I mentioned earlier, I I don't I don't think Dodger Stadium would be a bad place to do it I, because if possible, I would prefer it be outside. I really don't want to watch World Series games indoors. I just don't like watching any baseball indoors. Just doesn't feel right. So I I would especially hate to see the World Series being played inside. But I, I suppose I would go with Dodger Stadium as my number one pick for neutral field. Well, I mean, it fits the criteria in a good climate. You don't really have yeah. to worry about rain. It's big, and it's in a big market. Anaheim I, Stadium is pretty nice to look into. I wouldn't mind seeing the games being played there. Yeah, yeah. Whatever I mean, again, it. It, it, uh, I just call it Angel Stadium. Is that what it's called? Is that I? I I, I don't. I can't remember the official I'm name. Sure, I'm sure there's a corporate name tied to it. it doesn't but matter. Angel, yeah. Angel Stadium is really what everyone calls it. Yeah. I mean, when when the White Sox built uh, their new stadium and they changed it to U.S. Cellular, people still called it Comiskey for a long time, and some people still call it Comiskey. Oh, I'm sorry, the phone is ringing in the background. Um, please ignore that. Um, <laughs> uh, Life happens. Do I really want to edit this out or do we just let the phone ring? That is the question. I think you let it ring. You know, phones ring. People are used to it. We can overcome this. Well, if we can, if we can, if we can overcome COVID-19, we can overcome a phone ringing in the background of a podcast. That's true. That's true. Anyway, sorry about that interruption, folks. <laughs> um, but yeah, like Dodger Stadium would fit the criteria. I was thinking mm-hmm. Arizona as well. I don't think that's a really good stadium per se, but it's no. it's in it's uh, big. It's got a lot of seats, climate controlled. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah. that checks the boxes there. I think Houston might be another option, but oh, um, I don't know. I think Houston has left such a sour taste in everyone's mouth. And yeah. inevitably, whoever hosts is going to get a chunk of the the earnings from the World Series, too. And I can't see the league wanting Houston to be that team, given the circumstances of everything that has gone on recently. And the, the fan outcry would be so harsh. There's no way they would go Houston. Probably not if they're not. smart anyway. <laughs> Well, you know, speaking of Texas, though, they did build that new stadium for the Rangers. That does fit the criteria. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Rangers, I could see Rangers. My my biggest fear, actually, now that I think about it, is is not in Arizona, uh, but in Miami. If they played the World they Series in that atrocity of a it's dome, too small. I don't it's think I small. would watch. I don't think I'd watch. Even if the Cubs were in it? that maybe that maybe if the Cubs were in it, but otherwise I think I would have to take a principled stand against having the world series there. Jeez. Uh Oh Oh my gosh. (laughs) He's so offended by a stadium. I mean, I agree. It's a kind of a dumb looking stadium, but I wouldn't go that far. It's an atrocity. But they wouldn't go there. I think it's too small. If they if they it, were to do a neutral site World Series, they want something with over forty thousand seats. Yeah, that's true. And there's no way they would do it at Tropicana Field. Uh, I mean, I don't know. There, there's, there's been so many occasions over the last few years where I have said literally, 
there's no way Rob Manfred would do this. And then he does it. Yeah, watch. He'll, uh, he'll have the neutral site World Series at like City Field or something when the weather <laughs> is bad. Yeah. Like, do you remember a few years ago when they had the Super Bowl in New York? And everyone is like, why are you having it in New York? The weather is terrible. Yeah, but it's fun. It's it's fun for people watching on TV. I like watching bad weather sports on TV. I'm sure being in attendance isn't fun, but you know. I mean, I can't really compare football to baseball because you don't play in bad weather in baseball. Where in football you yeah. do. But there's just there's something that to to be said about bad weather sports and like football is the king of it and baseball is the exact opposite. So right. they would be really foolish to really to even go anywhere like anywhere above Atlanta. I mean, you could go anywhere in California except the A Stadium because no one would want to have it at that place. Um, you could do it. We're missing a big one here. One of the nicest stadiums in the league, San Francisco. I'd rather do it at It'd San a good Francisco place. than Dodger Stadium, frankly. That'd be a good place. Yeah. Yeah. I think California, any of those California stadiums would be good picks. Not over. Uh, I just Not have over. a, I, I just have a feeling that they would, they'd be cowards and, and pick a dome. And, and, you know, I wouldn't like seeing World Series games played uh, in Milwaukee either. I know, I know we disagree on this, but I, I just think Milwaukee's stadium is just really boring and bland looking. I I like I'm I like sure Miller Park. I'm sure it's comfortable, but just just as far as the view, it it just looks really bleak to me. And that's how I feel about you. The, remember the? I mean, obviously they haven't played since but the old rangers stadium that's how i how i always kind of felt about that place yeah i mean i i feel that way about most domes i think rogers center in toronto is is not a particularly oh yeah that place, place is not good looking i yeah agree. i really can't. can be great but the actual look of it i can't really think of any dome in, in baseball that i that is actually appealing to me I think, I think baseball was just Park meant to be nice. Baseball was meant to be played outside, and I, I think it's a disservice to the game to play it indoors. Well, I it's not my preferred way of playing, but you know, if you can squeeze in more games without getting rained out, then I say more power to you. Nah. It, it doesn't it doesn't kill me if it's a few times a year, frankly, but it would actually break me emotionally if the cubs ever played inside at home Uh, it's not happening and just i just think it's i think it's blasphemous in general to play baseball inside it just doesn't doesn't feel right that's this is my okay boomer moment yeah i'm gonna okay boomer you for that i mean i I get it you know what i get it it's best played outside i can totally get it I'm just not going as far as you, my friend. You know what? Maybe maybe we don't give the boomers enough credit. We say don't we say start. okay, boomer, as if don't even aren't right a lot of the time. I mean, <laughs> when did it when did it become inherently a bad thing to be a boomer? <laughs> when time here, here went I on. Am. Here's me, a, a millennial, standing up for the boomers. See, I don't believe you're your age. I just think you're much, much older. Or I'm you just like 
boomer. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Okay, so we're gonna still wait a while to um, find out what's going on here. Hopefully sooner than later, but we just don't know. So let's move on to opening day stuff that's happened before, because that's all we can really talk about since there's no opening day today. What is your favorite opening day memory of the Cubs? If you had to pick one, what is it? If I had to pick one problem, I mean, this is, this is going to sound really basic of me, but I would go with 2016 only because the Cubs were so far ahead of schedule in 2015 that uh, 2016 opening day was the first time in years that I was actually fully excited at the beginning of a Cubs season because you know that they, they won 95 games in 15, and so I was actually anticipating a big season as everyone else was. So in, in recent memory, I'll be super basic and go with the World Series year. Okay, I'm going to be less basic and go into a few other uh, opening days. Now, this is one of my favorite moments. It just sucks that it didn't win this game. But I will never forget, I was in eighth grade, 2008, when Kosuke Fukudome ties the game in his first game as a Cub, first game as a big leaguer coming over from overseas, hitting a game-tying three-run home run in the ninth off Eric Gagne. That just, that place lost its mind, and I wasn't there, but just seeing it on TV and hearing how loud it was, I'll just never forget that. I wish I could say I watched that one live on TV, but I did not, and I regret it. Because you're lame. Yeah, I'm a lame, basic boomer. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Have you ever attended an opening day? I have not. No? no. I, I would like to, but I'm sad to say I have not to this point. I've attended one. And it was opening day 2011. It was a gloomy, Oof. crappy day outside. And, and it ended they up lost... being a yeah. gloomy, crappy season. Yeah, it was a gloomy day. It was a 6-3 to three loss in which Ryan Dempster gave up a grand slam and it was the start of probably the most uninteresting season of Cubs baseball of my lifetime. Think about it. Think about it. There was arguably, in, in our lifetime, in our brief lifetime, there has probably not been a more uninteresting baseball season for the Cubs than 2011. Yeah, I, I mean, it's hard to argue with that. To recap that, it was the final year of Jim Hendry. The Cubs were stuck with a old, decrepit core that was getting paid a crap ton of money for performances that they were putting on the field five years prior, and Hendry had one last attempt at trying to contend, and by doing so, he got the likes of older Carlos Pena, and making no other improvements. The roster was bad. 
what was left of the good days was past its prime. And there was no real hope for the future outside Starling Castro because it was the year before Theo came in. At the time, their like top prospects were Josh Vitters and Brett Jackson. So yeah. it was pretty, pretty bleak that year. Not exactly fond memories there. And you know what's funny is that there is fun bad. Like 2014, when some of the players were starting to come up, Jake Arrieta was coming into form, and so was Anthony Rizzo. They weren't a good team, but they were an entertaining team with a lot of those players. They were what I'd call fun bad. Yeah, well, and at least in 2014, you started to get the sense that things might pick up soon. Uh, yeah. Obviously, it happened a year sooner than we expected, but we we at least had the reassurance that there was potential for things to finally start getting good. Absolutely. This, when when you feel like you're at the tail end of the crappy baseball, then there, then you at least have some semblance of hope. Uh, I mean, you can't say the same for a lot of the other teams in the league where you, you just know you're you've got to, you're going to have a garbage team year in and year out. Yeah, and I mean, we knew going to 2011, despite what Jim Hendry tried to tell us, we knew that team was going to be garbage. We knew it. I yeah. mean, th- there was no excitement that year whatsoever. Like you had Starling Castro in his first full year and. That's about it. That's really about it they had that year. So that was that was the one year where I could say it was so uninteresting that it was... I mean, 2012 was pretty bad to watch, too. But at least it was year one of a rebuild with a plan. That team became pretty unwatchable in the second half. But that whole season in 2011 is what I would deem unwatchable. Because at least in 2012... You did have Anthony Rizzo coming up. So there was a big hope there. <laughs> 2011, it was just... Yeah, not something we want to remember. But yeah, that, that was my one opening day. Robert Redford threw out the first pitch, and that's really the best part of the whole game, frankly. And then uh, the other closest thing I've been to an opening day was I was at the second game of the 2008 season when they started 0-2, Ted Lilly gave up a home run on the very first pitch of the ball game, and they lost that one, and it was freezing cold that day. Other than that, uh, I've been to many games, but no other no other openers. Well, might have to rectify that situation soon, huh? Yeah, and you know what? I, was, I wasn't going to go to opening day, but I was planning on going to the home opener. I was going to get tickets to the home opener coming up this Monday. Obviously, that's not happening, so... Uh, we'll see what happens in the future. Yeah, I'm going thanks. to get to back to one eventually. Thanks, Corona. Do you remember it was opening day? Oh, what year was it? 2010. 2010 in Atlanta. When Jason Hayward was making his MLB debut and the first swing of his career off Carlos Zambrano was booming home run to right field like an absolute missile and i think the cubs lost something like 16 to 4 that day that was probably the worst opening day ever for me watching the cubs ouch 
Ouch. I would assume no. you don't remember any of that. No, no. I was 15 at that time. Uh, I hadn't really gotten fully obsessed with baseball yet. Oh, so you were a late bloomer, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, in some ways. But, I mean, it was it was crazy. The, the home run that Hayward hit off Sembrano, I think to this day might be the longest of his career. And that was his very first one. That's probably something I should have known. You probably should have known that. Go on YouTube when you can and look it up. Zambrano got Zambrano just got destroyed that day. That wouldn't be the first time. No, no, he was. His opening I'm, day starts were not always efficient. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure some poor Gatorade cooler had to feel the wrath too. Yeah, it yeah. probably had it coming. Yeah, it, those it Gatorade coolers. They need to be reminded. They they just got to be put in line sometimes. I know they're always stalking you, watching you. Yeah, they're planning. They're planning something. Yeah, they just never know when to back off. No, not that's, at all. That, that's why you need guys like Zambrano. Yeah, it's too bad he's out of the league now. But he, uh, could, come, got... he could come back just to be the designated, uh, you know aggressor to the to the Gatorade coolers you know if, if yeah, John Lester's yeah. having a bad day on the mound uh maybe Zambrano uh beats the crap out of a Gatorade cooler for him you know and and maybe yeah, that's sure. maybe that's cathartic for Lester to just watch Zambrano destroy a water cooler hey someone's got to do it the right fans the fans would love it i'm telling you right now i don't care how ridiculous it sounds if you had carlos sambrano come back to wrigley field and just publicly destroy a gatorade cooler the fans would go nuts oh yeah they'd show it on the big video boards they awesome. show it on tv yeah. and everyone yeah, would be it would, cheering it would it would be talked about on sports center it'd be a whole thing I, i'm telling you it people would love it it's very similar to the idea I had of having John Lackey in a cage, and every time there's a bad call and a player wants to argue, instead of getting ejected, uh, just release John Lackey out of his cage <laughs> so it goes all Tasmanian devil on the umpire yeah. so your player we, doesn't have to get ejected. They could have all sorts of stuff like that. Uh, they could have Lou Pinella come back and punt hey, one on of the bases. That he's would be around. great. I've been he's watching him, yeah. I've been watching him on Marquee lately. <sighs> so, you know, I'm Lou Pinella. It's We're so talk about baseball. It's so funny how you you remember back to his managing days when he would just have these explosions and just rage out there, veins popping out of his neck, just eyes bloodshot, going nuts. But the, when you watch him on TV, he has this such a calm relaxing demeanor to him so just totally polar opposite of what he was like when he was managing sometimes it's kind of funny yeah i also can't help but wonder if part of that that is because he downed a thing a scotch or two before going on air so he was nice and calm because that's <laughs> something lou Pinella would totally do yeah yeah i could see it so you, you know this guy terrio he was our he was our shortstop, and I, 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 I'd always look over, 
and he'd, you know, he'd, he'd try to hit the ball out of the ballpark. And, and, and I told him, don't do that. I miss Lou Pinella. I was Not so bad. glad. That... <laughs> Not bad. <laughs> I miss Lou Pinella. He, was, he was entertaining. Honestly, before Joe Madden, he was my favorite manager of the Cubs in my lifetime. I like it when a manager has personality. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Lou and Joe Madden definitely have personality. Just mm-hmm. their personalities are quite different. Yeah. But they had personalities. Yeah. Because before that, you had the one-year Ricky Renteria, who actually is a bit fierier than some may realize if you see how many times he's gotten ejected over the past few years and with the White Sox. But before that, you had Mike Quaddy and Dale Swain. And I sometimes wondered if Dale Swain was still even clinically alive in the dugout half. The yeah, time. just totally. He was just a totally statue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he was probably like my least favorite manager of my lifetime. It, it, not because of the results on the field. I mean, think about it. Tony LaRusso wouldn't have won with with those rosters, but I know it's probably not reality. But I, I just. Every time I listened to him, I just always got this vibe that he just really didn't care. He just was kind of like, eh, yeah. Eh. I I I like it when when managers are just visibly really emotionally invested in what they're doing. You, you watch watch games, and sometimes you get the feeling that some of these managers are just going through the motions, but you know. Yeah, I, I like a guy like Pinella, Madden. Have, they have really colorful personalities to them. It just it just makes the whole experience more enjoyable for the fan. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I guess to be partially fair to Dale Swain, it's really hard to be enthusiastic about rosters that lose ninety five plus games yeah. the two years he was there. Yeah, but you just you never really saw you never really saw any fire from him. He just like I, like you said, kind of going through the motions. Uh, you know, he's he's had a long career as like a bench coach, and he's had a lot of success there. I just felt like as a big league manager on a rebuilding team in the early stages of a rebuilding team, it wasn't really where he probably wanted to be in terms of position of the ball club. I'm sure he was thankful of being yeah. a big league manager, but boy, I, it, it would be hard to be enthusiastic and energetic over those rosters yeah maybe a good x's and o's guys but you know the last person i would think of as somebody who could hype up a team or motivate them yeah and i also think that dale swain managing those rebuilding teams to me it felt like he knew that he wasn't going to be there in the long haul he was just kind of the placeholder for the time being because you need a manager no matter how good or bad you are. And even when you're not winning or the goal is not to win, you still need a big league manager. And there are certain managers out there that you'd want during a contending phase. And he, I think he knew that he wasn't going to be part of that. Yeah. And that would be hard. And so maybe you could partially put some of that on the Cubs brass because to, to really, 
to to really do a a good job at something i mean you have you got you have to believe that you're in it for the long haul and that you're actually there to make a significant difference if you're if you know if your bosses have have given you the impression that you know you're temporary and just biding your time then i would, i would imagine you'd find it really hard to get deeply and emotionally invested in doing the best job possible when you know that there's a short leash and that, you know, your time is going to inevitably end short. Yeah. And I'm not really sure that I could confidently say, Oh yeah, they told him he was just part of phase one. I'm not sure they told him that directly, but I think if you're Dale Swain, you probably sense that. Most likely. Yeah. I mean, his first season was the first year of the rebuild. And then his second season was the second year of the rebuild, the two earliest years of the rebuild. And uh, yeah, 127, 197. That's a 392 win percentage. And you can't really blame his style. The team just wasn't very good. I, I just wish, again, I just I just felt like the worth work ethic lacked. And I think where it really got me was, if you remember... Rizzo and Castro had like two of their worst years under Dale Swain. And then when they brought in Ricky Renteria and a few other guys, they in 2014 coaching wise, they kind of began to rebound again. But in 2013, I remember both Castro and Rizzo struggling. I don't really know how much Dale Swain was responsible for that. It might be partial. It might be greatly. It might not be at all, but I just, I remember watching the later days of Dale Swain and seeing those two guys who were at the time the most important cornerstones of the rebuild really, really struggling, and that worried me a lot. Yeah, not not exactly the, the days we want to remember, are they? No. I mean, I suppose they have their place, but... Yeah. I, I, I tell myself, if I could get through those days, I could get through anything, which is funny because now an 84-win season seems like a complete failure. If you would have told me in 2013 that they'd win 84 games the next season, I would be jumping up and down like a madman. Oh, me too. It, it's kind of like to go football here. If you would have told me in 2017 that the 2018 Bears would go 8-8, eight and eight, I'd be pretty thrilled. But after they went 12 and 4 and they had all the promise going 8 and 8 this past year, it felt like they had a losing season when they didn't. But we remember it as a losing season. Yeah, I, I agree. But hey, right now, the good news is we can't lose any games. Just hey, saying. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to look at the bright side. Whatever that whatever you call that meme. Yeah. Can't lose, can't lose games if you're not playing games. Exactly. The, uh, the think meme that the tap on the forehead meme. Yeah. Whatever that, yeah. Whatever that's called, whatever it's I'm a, called. I'm a, I'm a boomer. So I don't know. What are naturally. these memes? Yeah. These memes. What's a meme? Is it French? <laughs> uh, well, I think, uh, we're going to end the show right there. Uh, we're going to do some shorter shows for now, but we are going to try to develop a few fun games for us to play, a few 
activities to do on the shows and we'll probably try to bring some guests on too. We might as well have some guests. I know there are some people out there um, yeah. who want to come on the show. So in the coming weeks, we're going to try to have some people on the show and uh, join us so we can, you know, have a good time and talk yeah. about some fun things, play a we'll few games and we'll spice it up and really try mm-hmm. to keep uh, our listeners engaged during this time of no baseball. Mm-hmm. We'll pump out some, some good quality internet content right on if you know what the internet is boomer i'm on it right now aren't i i didn't even have to ask my grandson to help me see you thought you were just talking on the phone on dial-up but you're not crazy see that's why you didn't hear the noise beep my grandparents had dial-up the longest time and oh that, that that noise was hideous my grandma still has one of those, what do you call the phones? You, you got to spin the dial or whatever. Oh, a rotary phone? Yeah, a rotary phone. She's still got a rotary phone hooked up in her house. Well, you know what's funny is I'd go to my grandparents' house too and see one of those. And like I'm dialing it and I'm, like, I'm thinking, how the heck did you guys do this for so many It's kind of fun. It's kind of fun actually using one of those. I like it's, the... It's, 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 it's weird now, though, that just landline phones in general are pretty outdated technology. Oh, yeah. I mean, look at pay phones. Those are pretty much extinct. Yeah. And I mean, just think maybe 15 some years ago, there were still pay phones pretty heavily available. I'd say early 2000s was the beginning of the end for them. I think by yeah. like the 2010s, they were pretty much extinct. Yeah, only people using the few pay, phone, pay phones left are drug dealers. And, and you, because you're a boomer. Hey, boomer's gonna boomer. I don't even know where you'd find a pay phone, but good for you. I'm sure there's there's some stragglers in some big cities. Yeah, there is. You know what's really funny is um, on my college campus, I remember walking around uh, you know, all the time in like the main lobby areas, and you'd see the spots where pay phones used to be. And then you'd go to like shopping malls or subways or train stations of any kind. And you'd see all the spots where those pay phones used to be. And you think, you know, not too long ago, those were being used constantly. Crazy. Crazy, crazy. All right, well, that's going to do it here on Climbing the Ivy. I want to thank everybody for listening. I want to thank Adam for coming on. Just a reminder, you can check out Cubby's Crib at cubbyscrib.com. You can check out all their content on social media. Go on their Twitter page. Go on their Facebook page. Give it some likes, retweets, share with your friends. Also, check out this podcast on iTunes. Until next time, he's Adam. I'm Alex. Have a great night.